And I'm Josh. Welcome to another episode of 52 in 52, a podcast where we watch at least one movie a week for every week in the year and record an episode about it. Today's episode is about Moonlight. How you doing today, Josh? Doing pretty well. How about you? You got a new studio there? Yeah, dude. I'm uh, all moved out of my parents' house finally. Got my own place and, uh, you know, got my own got my own crib to solely record podcasts in and nothing else. <laughs> I, I, was, I was giving Anthony a, a, a Skype tour of the, my, my new apartment, too, before he started this. And I, I have my recording desk as my kitchen table, which I have not actually eaten at yet i just only <laughs> recorded the podcast there you just eat at your on your couch near your coffee table yep nice classic classic college move <laughs> um but yeah so uh, i think today we're gonna talk about moonlight which is i guess the beginning of the uh, oscar season slash oscar worthy movie podcast hopefully that we'll be reviewing uh, would you agree with that josh I'd say so. I think things are about to get really good. Uh, originally, I'd hoped that would have started at the beginning of October, but not really the case. It took a little longer than we thought, thanks to some hiccups from uh, other movies that aren't even going to warrant a recording on 52 and 52, So, because we just didn't really care enough to actually make the time to talk about them, which says all you need to say. You can figure out for yourself which of those might be, but I think we're pretty happy to um, have this one to talk about. Yeah, definitely. So uh, if you guys don't know what Moonlight is, I... It's definitely an indie movie, um, smaller studio, A24. Uh, we've, re- we've recorded podcasts on a couple of their older movies um, on here before, too. Um, and this, I, I don't know, it's, I, I thought it was a more popular movie than it is, but I guess you were telling me that it's not. So I guess for those of you who don't know, um, I guess the biggest names in it are Mahershala Ali, who is um, Remy from House of Cards, and um, the... What's One name? of the random dudes in the Mockingbird movie, or the Hunger Games movie. Oh, yeah, and he's in Luke Cage, which is oh, yeah. his big thing now. Uh, Naomi, did, you finish, did you finish Luke Cage? Yeah, yeah, I finished it. I, I still haven't finished it. It's, yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of went away from it for a while. It just wasn't doing a lot for me, and I kind of went back in the last couple of days. But, I mean, I've seen a, a lot of him in it, and, I mean, he's really good. Yeah, after just, yeah, he's really good in it, but after episode seven or so, there's a uh, – there's a big drop off, and you'll you'll know why if you if you've seen it. Um, anyway. I'm like eight. I'm like eight in. So yeah. yeah, but like yeah, he's definitely really good. Um, Naomi Harris is in it. Janelle Monet, and then I guess I'd just say a bunch of first time or or just smaller smaller name actors and actresses that really sort of well, take center stage. Also, Andre Holland. Um, yeah. He's in like the last third of it, but he he was in Selma and he's on the Nick, mm. which I haven't watched, but I mean I've heard is pretty good and uh yeah he's like someone that people kind of know yeah so the basic premise of this movie is uh first of all i guess it's directed and written by barry jenkins uh, and i guess he's been writing this for three or four years now trying to get it made and finally did and um i don't know i'm super happy about it but uh basically it's 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 a movie that takes place in three like separate timelines and it's about a young kid named chiron who um, he's a gay black kid, uh, growing up in Miami and sort of just details how he tries to grow up, uh, with a, no father, a mother who does drugs and how he gets bullied around school for being gay and being black, etc. And sort of just goes from being a young child to being like 14, 15. And then I guess maybe 28, 29, 30 in the last, the last portion of the movie. Um, I guess, do, are we doing spoilers or are we just... I don't really know how to talk about you this. Can't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think – I think it's pretty easy to talk about this 
all the way throughout sure. the movie without spoiling it. So sure. I don't think we yeah. need to worry about doing that. Um, but yeah, how about how about you go first? Because I sometimes tend to ramble for like three minutes without <laughs> letting you talk. But I mean, you've been even more. You've been very down on this year movies, and I don't. I don't think it's been like great. But I've found more stuff to enjoy than you have. But I think you were pretty happy with this. So why don't you just uh, tell us w- what what this movie really did for you? Yeah, you know, um, this movie was actually playing at a theater close to me the first weekend. It kind of got a wider release, which was really exciting. So I drove out fifteen twenty minutes and I went to go see it. Um, I, I really liked it. Honestly, I think it's probably the best movie of the year so far. Um, I just, the thing is, it's one of those movies where I'm watching it and I, you know, I, every time I go to the movies, I get popcorn, I get a drink, whatever. And it's one of those movies where it's like so delicate when you're watching it, not necessarily in a bad way, but like, I didn't even want to like chew my popcorn and make noise. I just kind of wanted to like appreciate like every moment in the movie and, and the silences that are intended by the director and, um, just little things that like that. It's funny that you say that because, like, I, I was doing the same thing. It's not like a thing I consciously think about at movies that often, like, oh, I can't chew my popcorn too loud. I might yeah. not hear that. But, like, I was thinking about it for this one. Like, I mean, it, it was a, I was in a smaller, like, VIP theater. Like, it was just – I went to – I saw it in, in a Regal that had, like, a – regular theaters but then like vip ones for certain shit ones it was showing where you could just have like recliners and shit there was like only six other people in my theater so i was worried like i was gonna like stand out if i made any noise and, like, <laughs> and my chewing my popcorn sounded louder to me and it's like a very dialogue driven movie to a certain yeah. extent at certain points so yeah but it's one of those things where you kind of just i don't know you just kind of want to feel what's going on on screen and it's very emotional and it's very I don't know, I guess, it's, but it's it's so subtle at the same time, right? And um, I don't know, I think Barry did a really good job just in development of all three phases of the movie. I, I Honestly, I, I don't even know how, which one was longer, which one was shorter, which one had more of an impact on me, etc. They were all just really so Anthony, good. And, Anthony mentioned it earlier. The first one is, he's about, uh, Chiron's about seven maybe six or seven um second second the second third of the movie he's uh, like 16 17 he's in high school and the third in the third part he is um like like he said late 20s but living in georgia because he had some legal troubles at the end of the second third that kind of made him relocate a little bit and uh and you, so you, you didn't have a clear cut. I mean, like they're all good, but you didn't have a clear cut part of the movie that had the biggest impact on you. Probably the first part, maybe, but I yeah. don't know. They were. All, I don't. I, I don't know. It's also been probably like ten days or so since I've seen it. But yeah, I'm only like two days removed from seeing it. I, what, I, what I'll say then is that I think the best scene in the movie is the one in the first third where he's sitting at the table with yeah, uh, no Shara and Amy Harris and Janelle uh, Janelle Monae, yeah, sorry, Janelle Monae, asking about like what it even means to be gay. Like that's yeah. they, like you said, it's not like a. You said like the movie's very understated, and like that scene was super powerful without like being a bunch of people yelling about stuff. Yeah, and it wasn't um, over the top like with mm-hmm. it. It wasn't like vulgar to be vulgar or anything. It was very mm-hmm. honest like interpretation of what a six year old would say and. Yeah, I, no, that I mean, was my. I think that was the mo- the best scene in the movie. Also, yeah, it, that, it was the best scene in the movie. But I think the overall, the one that probably had the biggest effect on me was the second third, because um, in the he he's, he he doesn't understand. Like I don't. I mean, I, I didn't totally understand even like how everyone. He's seven years old. Like it's not they were making him like like some flamboyant flamboyant caricature of a kid. Like so, it's not clear how everyone is like picking up on that he's gay because he's like six years old and he doesn't really 
it doesn't really exude any really effeminate qualities that would make one to say that. So I'm not sure how it got there and he doesn't even know what it means, but like, that's still like an amazing scene. But like, I really kind of related to the second one a lot more. I didn't, I don't even know if relates the right word. Like, because I'm not one of those kids, like, you know, a lot of people our age would just be like, oh, man, high school sucked. Like, I hated high school. <laughs> yeah, I fucking definitely. hated high school. I fucking hated middle school. And I think people like to overstate and dramatize, like, dr- or is that a dramatize. word? Dramatize. Dramatize. <laughs> I think people like to dramatize a little bit just how bad middle school and high school were. Like, yeah, like, college is definitely better. But, like, you did, you probably didn't actually have it that bad. Like, maybe some kids did, but, like, the amount of kids that said it was awful, I definitely don't think is, like, the actual amount of people who actually have an awful time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, to, so, but, like, here's an example of it actually being that bad because, um, I, I, actually, I shouldn't have said I could relate to it earlier, but, like, I could see where he was coming from because I came from uh, a, the panhandle of Florida. This is in Miami, and I guess Miami's a little bit more South Florida is a little more liberal than the panhandle of Florida, and that's an understatement. But I did not meet an openly gay person until the end of my freshman year of college, like an openly gay person my own age. I knew a couple older guys that were gay, but I did not know someone that was gay and within near my age until after the first year because no one came out in high school because like it was just like a area like my my part of the state is largely like the reason that like donald trump beat marco rubio in the republican primary it is like (laughs) it is like that crazy it's like those kind of people and you you probably like maybe maybe it's a little better now but like in the early 2000s like you would not have come out when you're in high school and if you're at a place that is not friendly towards gay people and you are somehow people know he's gay and like I, I could I could sense just how bad that would be because I know how bad it would have been in my high school if like a lot of people knew that any one person was gay. Yeah. And so for him, so just seeing him going through that, knowing what it would have been like in my high school, like I felt super uncomfortable watching that just for him. Like the scene and the, what did it for me more than anything is that scene where he's just kind of like at like outside some of the lockers in like an outdoor area, looking out to the front of the high school where he sees all just the seeing all the bullies. Yeah, seeing all the bullies. And then, like, uh, Kevin comes up behind him, but, like, I think the way that he's, like, tr- has them on his mind as Kevin is talking to him, and the way the camera is, like, following him around, it's like a, a shaky cam slash tracking shot thing. Yeah. And, like, he has no – and he just, like, just the way that you, – you, it conveys his sense of uneasiness so much that I felt so uncomfortable Then that I'm at the same time thinking, like, if I'm feeling this uncomfortable watching this just because of how they're shooting the scene, just think of what it would be like to actually be that guy. Yeah, and like just that thought is like it stuck with me like all the way throughout the rest of the movie, and that's like the one part that just and the way that set the tone for the rest of that third of the movie, it just made it had more of an impact on me than anything else. Even if, like I said, that scene in the first third probably the best scene. Yeah, and I think Barry Jenkins did a lot of nice things with the camera in terms of tracking shots in a way to convey emotion. And I saw some some critics say that it was very cliche, etc. But I don't know. I thought that. Uh, his use of tracking shots, especially um, changing the height when it was like a little kid versus an adult and changing the angles was really good. And I think that a lot of the the actors and actresses really had to do a lot of facial expression work and sort of like tonal work with their voices more so than like the actual dialogue. And I think that it was, I think he did a really good job with that. And, and Josh was just talking about a scene where um, it, the camera kind of shakes to show how shaken the character is at the same time. And it's just like a, a good representation of the emotion via the camera. 
but there's also a way to like in which a lesser movie would try and do that, but it would feel a little over the top. Like they might go over overboard with the shakiness yeah. or whatever, and it definitely didn't feel like that. It just felt it felt uneasy, which is how that was supposed to feel. Yeah, and the other thing is the movie is so grounded in in a sense of reality while also being this sort of like mythical representation of not mythical but just this this other representation of uh, i don't know i feel like this is a separately both a black culture movie and like an lbgtq movie um and i don't know i think that it really i think it all just really flows together and and the thing is the movie isn't necessarily trying to say anything about um whatever you want to call it like black lives matter uh, gay marriage whatever you want to call it it's just a movie about someone's experience solitary experience and if you can relate you can relate but you sort of just like josh said you you're feeling for the character and you're feeling the uncomfortableness and you're feeling like the pain that that person is going through yeah and i I agree the movie's not like you said the movie's not trying to like overtly make a statement about that stuff it's not being preachy but just the way in which it told the story in such a so effectively was that like I started taking some of that stuff from it anyway because like I mentioned that about like not knowing any openly gay people when I was in high school but the fact is like there were gay people in my high school and like it's not a fun existence to have to live in the closet like that but at the very least like they they knew they had like those classmates of mine like it was I was from a, a fairly affluent suburb of Pensacola Florida and. These people, I, like I know for a fact, they weren't going home to live in the kind of conditions Chiron was, and it's just a more well-off community that had um, that has resources for someone that might actually need help in some way. Whereas here, it's like, yeah, that might not have been good. Like those kids that I went to high school with might not have been good for them, but like, like I said, they had somewhere safe to go. Whereas like he's going home in that part of the second third of the movie. And he doesn't know where he's going to stay at night because uh, because of like his at home situation. And you saw um, he couldn't really have he, they didn't really have the resources at the school to help him. Um, it was very reminiscent of the scene in season four, The Wire, where the principal is trying to get Randy to snitch. And it's like that's the only thing she can do to help him. Like she doesn't know anything to do except she's like, go tell on those kids. Yeah, you know, that, you know that's just gonna get his ass beat again if he does that. Like that's the only help. Yeah, it's a anyone, lose lose scenario. And it's the only help that anyone can offer him aside from Teresa giving him a place to sleep. That's like the only help he has. So I, I'm sitting there thinking about like, yeah, it's not trying to be a preachy Black Lives Matter mo- movie or anything like that. But it like it is showing and not telling you just how different people live uh from how you might live and like i i ironically enough saw this movie in miami because i i I drove i I live in west palm beach now i had to drive a little over an hour but i really wanted to see it one because it's a really good movie i knew that probably it was going to be a really good movie two i didn't want you to have to wait like a month till after you (laughs) record the podcast yeah but but like that like i was like oh well miami's really big like maybe that actually like those those suburbs or those what do you, what do you, what do you, that's not a suburb that they live in or the um the town or the, yeah. the the neighborhoods that they neighborhoods the neighborhoods that they live in i thought maybe that's like really really far on the west side like i didn't know where because i'm still learning my way around south florida and i thought maybe that's like really far like 20 miles west but it's actually like not that far from downtown the high rises and miami beach it's like less than 10 miles liberty city is so it's like you can be near like all of this money, and yet there are still people living that way that don't have the resources to help a young kid that is really actually truly an innocent soul. He's not a bad dude, and in circumstances because they are so bad, so not well off, just push him into being something that he really isn't. And that's 
a that's a pretty big statement without just like yelling a statement in your face, if you will. Yeah, and this movie is a lot of show and don't tell, like Josh said, Josh said. But I think, and you you referenced it earlier offhand, but I think one of the best parts or one of the most uh, important parts of this movie is that most, if not all, of the important scenes actually not scenes, but like events happen off screen or off camera, and you learn about them via dialogue or just you know watching uh, whatever the changed circumstances are in the next third of the movie. And I, I I don't know. I think that it sort of adds this kind of weight and gravity in the sense of like you were talking about how we don't know how he knows he's gay or how everyone else knows he's gay, etc. But it's that, that that's not shown because it's not important how it's just like they're just trying to tell the story about how he's being treated and why he's being treated and it doesn't matter how they found out or or what he did to make them know or what etc it, it really doesn't matter and that's that sort of tells how strong the movie is that they don't have to have these extra scenes that are that other movies I'm sure lesser movies would have had extended you know one character where they die, right? And they're just, they're going to have a, a scene where he dies and a funeral and this like overly emotional conversation that like sort of tells you how, exactly how someone's feeling. And we don't really need that in this movie. Yeah. You can just imagine because you see how alone he is growing up. Uh, he, he just, he, he doesn't talk and he doesn't really have the, like I, like I already went on about just how he probably didn't have the many resources available to him, but you can already see how a kid that shy if he were to lose anyone in his life, like that he actually feels comfortable talking to, like you don't need to see him going through the breakdown and the loss and all that. Like they've already so well conveyed what kind of little kid he was and how, um, or what kind of teenager he was and like how few people he actually felt comfortable with that, you know, if he's going to suffer any loss, it's going to hit him hard. And they, they don't need to spell that out for you because they've already really established through all these different, through several different actors playing him, just like what that, um, what kind of person he is. Yeah. And I think that they, it's pretty impressive that they sort of nailed spot on the three separate actors that play him. Right. And I, I don't know if you would agree with that, but it's pretty like, I, and it's interesting too, because one of the, I guess themes of the movie is sort of like Chiron tries to go through this physical transformation in order to sort of, uh, I don't know if you, if you want to say like further a emotional or personal transformation, but it's sort of like a thing of destiny where he ends up like, you can't really hide from what you are or who you are. And no matter how much you change, it's sort of like you have to embrace who you are in order to like be happy and fulfilled. Yeah, definitely. Cause well, he, in the third act, he's clear, he's gotten really jacked because he probably has thought that's what I need to do to survive. Like he saw, yeah, the, I he think he says he, that. Uh, I I don't remember him explicitly saying that, but you don't even need him to if he did, regardless of whether or not he does, because you see what happens to him in the earlier parts of the movie, and he probably thought this was a necessity. But I, that that's why that that actor is probably my favorite of the ones that played him, even though they, like you said, they're all good because there's a moment when he's uh, talking to the older version of Kevin later where. All of a sudden, he like you see, he's tried to put this front up. He's wearing all the bling, and he's already jacked up, and he's and you can tell he probably doesn't talk that much because he knows it'll kind of convey that person that he really is that he's trying to kind of uh, hide from the public because he's at that point he's he's like it's not a spoiler to say he's dealing drugs. He's not he's trying to put up some kind of front, and he uh, he, he ends up 
all of a sudden uh, letting that guard down very quickly and so easily conveys the Chiron we saw in the first two parts of the movie when he's tried to make it look like a different person for that first half of the third part. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, like his, this is some massive Jack guy. And all of a sudden, like he looks like this, he, he, all of his mannerisms and all of his, um, ticks all of a sudden look like those other scrawny kids that played him in the first two thirds. And like, it was just really, really impressive. I thought, cause I mean, there's a, I mean, like it's, it would have been, it, I mean, it still would have been a good movie and it would have even been understandable if like they missed on one of those three guys. But like the fact that they did it all across the three timelines is all the more impressive. Yeah. And each acting job is equally important to like the next part of the movie or the previous part of the movie and the development of the character. Um, and, you know, I, I noticed something I was watching and I need to watch it back because uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm like 90 percent sure. But uh, and I think this was intentional. The. The only time or the first time that anyone tells Chiron that they love him is in the third act about – how long is the movie? Two hours? So about like an hour and a half into the movie is the first time somebody says I love you in the entire movie. And I think that was pretty important like well, emotionally for his character. Um, I think his mom might have told him – but didn't like when she's hitting him up for drug money and stuff, but like you don't really believe it when she says it. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I think the first time that someone says it and you truly believe it might be in the, like in the later At the part rehab of the center. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I think, first, I think that's the only time that it was said in the movie. Oh, I thought she might've said him like, um, I, no, I I'll have to go saying. back to. I'm, I'm going to go see it again. I feel like she might have said it in that second act where she's trying to get him to give her money to buy drugs, and like like I said, you don't believe her, but it's a very thing she's just saying to try and get through to him. Mm-hmm. But the first time it actually like has a real effect on him, and he takes it genuinely is definitely for yeah. sure in the third. And that's the only that's the only genuine time also yeah, that yeah. it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that, that means a lot because like we said, I mean like he has some people that care for him in the first two thirds, but like that notwithstanding he's clearly very alone yeah and and it's and then they just take that and they parlay it into the to the third basically the final scene of the movie which is sort of like a 20 minute scene and and everything just like the culmination of everything adds up to that and the best part about it is that they don't really there's not like a true climax there's just a conversation there's not really a on-screen resolution or anything. It's just conversation, and you feel it, and, and the movie's more of a, And it's more of a conversation than you've like seen him actually have throughout the rest of the movie, which just uh, show like I mean, even just have it because multiple times throughout the movie, people are like, "Why don't you say anything?" And I mean, it's clear he do- why he doesn't because he's not very comfortable in his own skin. But just the fact that he gets to a point where he can even just have a real conversation, I think he he. he he, the most words he strings together at any point are in the um, at the beginning of the third act when he is putting on his act for one of his employees. Yeah, which is what I'll say. Yeah. And I mean he's he's acting as another person when he does that. No like, question. The first time when he actually uh, put says a lot of things that is actually him in a regular conversation is in the like you said towards the end. And the fact that I'm saying that about. A the main character who's in almost every scene of this movie just shows you like how impressive everything else about this movie is that it works that well and you're engaged through, 
that much throughout, despite the fact that the main character doesn't really like speak in a lot of complete sentences for like the first hour and thirty minutes. Like, yeah. It shows you just how well everything is done around that, and what how well they're able to do everything else to convey him as a person because they just aren't doing it through uh, detailed dialogue on his part. Yeah, and the other thing is that they don't. One of the more impressive things to me is that nobody really is the star of this movie to me. Um, I don't, probably nobody has like more than 30 minutes of on screen time and like no single actor. And Josh and I were talking about earlier, but I I don't know that now that you've seen the movie, I know we talked about it before you saw it. I don't really think that anybody in this movie could really be up for supporting no, even though they were that good. No, no. I I mean, I, I think, uh, Marsha Shara, uh, how do you say his name? Mahershala Ali. Mahershala is like, I think he actually just... I've read a lot of stuff about it, and I think he actually just has a really good chance of being nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Probably won't win because it's just that thin of a year in that category. And, like, he's so good in that one scene yep. that, like, I can't even get mad about it. Even if, like, I do, you might rather have someone on screen for a little more. But if someone is that good for a third of the, a movie that is this good, uh, I'm not going to get upset about it. Uh, but, like, in, in, a, in, a, in a, a different kind of year, like in 2014 where you had, like uh, – that was the year we had J.K. Simmons for Whiplash, Mark Ruffalo for Foxcatcher, Edward Norton, and um, I'm forgetting. There, there was a really strong top four. I'm just forgetting the fourth, and it was like Robert Duvall for the fucking judge. Like if it was a, if it was a year where they were like as, as strong as those four right there, then like he might have trouble breaking in because like sometimes it's just like bordering on like a lead performance sure. where the guy gets where like guys are getting nominated. But like there's nothing wrong if it's like smaller stuff like i think like or just like a smaller role like what happened yeah. with this because this just if you just think about it like how many really great supporting performances can you think of that we've had i don't know off the top of That's my head i'd have to look just, john goodman maybe i don't know if he counts as supporting yeah but. it's like yeah like my my two favorite that come to mind are john goodman and jack rayner from string street uh yeah. and like he's not going to get nominated. Like people are going to try and make a push for John Goodman, but it's just like that small. Oh, the other one, I ironically that- enough, the the other, the other one of the four I was trying to think of from 2014 was Ethan Hawke and boyhood, uh, oh, which God. is, uh, never- Anthony's Anthony's, uh, least favorite movie that he's never seen. But ironically enough, like it's something that had, it was something I wanted to mention, even though I can't really discuss it that much with Anthony. Cause, uh, a lot, a, a, <laughs> A lot, of, no, like all joking aside, like a lot of critics are mentioning these two in the same breath. They don't seem similar, like they're like acknowledging that similar to me, though. I mean, it's over three timelines, but the thing is, like, Boyhood. I mean, it had the gimmick of using all the same actors, but also, but also, like, the the kid in that movie goes through some sh- shit, but it's very, very minor shit. And very, very to, white people problems. Yeah, general general white people problems, and like, look, I, we watch a lot of TV shows about white people problems. We're not uh, shitting on a movie just for being that, but like, the fact is, if you're gonna actually confront your protagonist with like a lot more intense stuff, then and pull it off, then you're gonna be a better movie, and that's why Moonlight's a better movie. In addition to the fact that while the whole using the same actors across three timelines thing, like, it left a little bit of an impression on me in Boyhood because you feel the passage of time a lot more. And it just like hates you a little bit at the end. It's also freaking two hours and forty minutes, so that kind of does it too. Yeah. But in, but like the, their problem in that movie was that the kid was a better actor when he was five than when he was eighteen. And here they got really good actors, like we said, that could, that all were convincing in all three timelines. So not only did they pull that off, but like it just had to, it did a lot more in a lot less time. 
But uh, yeah, I know I got a little off track from the award stuff, but I just want to say <laughs> why I liked it better than Boyhood. And I really liked Boyhood. It was my second favorite movie of that year. But uh, or no, no chance. Favorite. Yeah, third, third, third favorite. Third, uh, Whiplash and Birdman, Birdman. were ahead of it. I, I was just yeah. thinking of like uh, for best picture, like it was down to those two, not Whiplash, even though it should have been Whiplash. Um, but but yeah, so I think Marsha Halla. Did I fuck it up again? Doesn't matter. Just Whatever. say Remy Din something. No, I refuse to Good. give House of Cards House any more shot than it deserves. Yeah. So I think he definitely actually gets in, and I can't complain about it. Some people are saying maybe Naomi Harris, and she's actually the only one that's in all three parts of the movie. But he, like, he's just – I think Marsha Shala is like a lot better than her. Um, like She's fine, but it just, his performance did a lot more for me and yeah. left a lot more impression. And like, Yeah, it was, a media, it was a meteor role though for sure. Um, but yeah, so I think like him, best picture, best director, and best screenplay, screenplay yeah. and maybe cinematography because it just looks really good. Maybe, but um, I doubt I, it'll get up there with some other movies that are going to come out. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, I mean, like, uh, uh, as far as cinematography, um, I mean, no Cloverfield was good. Hardcore I, Henry, uh, Captain uh, America. I don't know, man. Well, those you'll get in. Those are the kind of movies that get in more for special effects. It usually needs to be a little bit more prestige movie to uh, get in for cinematography. Arrival might. Still... I mean, Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, because Bradford Young like shot the hell out of Selma, so I'm expecting Arrival to look really cool. Even though I've not looked at a trailer since the first one minute teaser for Arrival. Um, but yeah, so like those are like where Moonlight has a chance, and it'll definitely get some awards love because people are already gonna like try and make up for the Oscar So White thing last year, even if it like wasn't a good movie because that's why <laughs> people thought it was gonna be Birth of a Nation. But then when like Trash. Birth of a Nation turned out to like not be that good of a movie, uh, luckily they have another option in this one that can actually like deserves it and deserves a lot of awards. Yeah. So yeah, uh, did you have any? Did we? Was there anything else we didn't cover on this before we get to our other activity? I want to do. No, I mean I think that I don't go know, man. It. Yeah, go see it. It's it's I, the best movie of the year so far. It might yes. end up being the best movie of 2016. Mm-hmm. It'll be up for a bunch of Oscars. So when you're watching that shit on Twitter, you'll be like, oh, I know what Moonlight is. And I think it's important to support the indie movies and black culture and LGBTQ movies, etc. Um, I don't know. It's really good. You'll like it. Yeah, and uh, and definitely go support it because uh, like I want to keep A24 in business because that brings us to the last little activity I wanted to do because um, this is an A24 production. It was the first movie – like they've been distributing movies since 2013. Like they did Spring Breakers and The Bling Ring, um, which are like their first two ones that made much of a impression. And then they, after that, they have really been kind of like the – bellwethers of the indie movie industry as far as just producing like really interesting movies and like i've actually gone back and watched a lot of them this year like uh a lot uh so and anthony's seen a lot of them too i don't know if you had a chance to look at this yet or if you want to pull up the list that i gave you but i want to go through through, like the top five because i'm curious to see if we come with the same top five because we want to go through our top five a24 movies because like i said they put together like a lot of my favorite movies of the last few years and uh, I wanted to go in order, or I'll go from I don't know five to one. Or I one have to five. six, I think. You you couldn't you couldn't get it down to five. Uh, it was hard. It was hard. Like I had like a couple that would have been like right after for me. I would say I have six. Okay, okay. So um, we'll see if like uh, how close our five are, and if your six is my six. So my I I, I, don't I, have, I think do I have to have them in order? 
Oh, if you can, that'd be nice. But if not, like I would have been, I, I, I literally would like just looked at the list. One. So that's why you go first. Whatever you can think about it. I'll I'll list mine first, and we'll see how similar they are. Because I'm putting Moonlight first. Okay. Um, I yeah. I do think it's the best they've done so far. Even if, like I said, they've had a lot of other good ones. Uh, I agree. S- second, I put Obvious Child. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's like list. a perfect movie. Um, some of the other ones might have even had more powerful moments all the way throughout, but like Obvious Child, like hits home like really hard. But as a, well, it doesn't hit home for me because I've never really had to deal <laughs> you with a girl pregnant. Yeah, done that job. <laughs> no, I, I have not, or nor have I been the one needing an abortion myself. So I, I can't say it's a, that personal. But like, it's a great movie. Um, uh, three, I'd say Room. Uh, yeah, kind of hard not to pick room there. Yeah, like I mean, I I feel like it'd almost be higher for me if I didn't actually think Brie Larson was better in Short Term Twelve. It's just kind of weird. Like that movie got all the awards, and I'm just like, yeah, but like she's been better. Like like yeah, but like still a great movie, extremely powerful and moving. Uh, four, I put the spectacular now. That's on my list also. Because because I think more so than just about any movie that I've seen in the last five years dealing with young adults and serious issues that. Uh, avoids a lot of the pitfalls of just dumb cliche shit. Like every time you think that movie's going to do something corny, it it doesn't, which is like why it was such an amazing viewing experience my first time. And uh, fifth, I put Ex Machina. Oh God, no! Um, no, you don't like Ex Machina. There's no way it's better than the other two movies on my list. Okay, so like after that, I had um, it, like I said, it was hard. So I had a, a most violent year and. Um, uh, probably Morris for America. Uh, I guess you might have. Oh, you can go ahead and say what what you. Yeah, had the other there. two I had are Green Room and Lock. Okay, so I actually watched Lock for the first time last night. Last um, night? Yeah, it's I, so good. I, I didn't do. I I wasn't actually thinking about doing this exercise in the pod yet, and I watched it and like, it's good. Uh, I don't know. Like I think I I just didn't quite like it as much as the others I listed. Like I think it's. You it think is good. those it's movies just, are better than Green Room though? Um, X Machina is better than Green Room. I don't know about that. I mean, like Green Room, X Green Room, Green Room, and Most Violent Year would be like my next two after that. Like, like I said, I liked Lock, but I just think maybe it's just not exactly my kind of movie. Like, as far as like it's it's amazing what that movie can accomplish. Just given, I mean, for what you guys, for those of you who don't know what Lock is, you should definitely watch it. It's it's Tom Hardy driving in a car for eighty eight minutes, talking on his cell phone, and it's great. Yeah, it's really the fact that it kept my attention as much as it did, like, is why I thought it was a really good movie. It's just like, like I, I, I don't know. I think I, I like it kept my attention, but there are a couple times where, for the most part, but there are a couple times where it just didn't. Um, like, okay, well, I wasn't like the, like like the fifth time that he talked about pouring cement. I was just like, okay. Um, I mean, that's part of the, that's part of the the movie, though. I know. Yeah, it is. It's just like. I, I the, the stuff with his family worked more for me than the stuff with his job, and like after this, after a while, the stuff with his job just like got a little like okay, I get it. Um, and like I said, it's still really good. It's just like I think Ex Machina did a little more for me. Where I haven't seen it yet, but where is American Honey on the list? Is it not close? I mean, like I said, I there's probably about twenty movies if you just go on A twenty four and click on films that like I enjoy and that's one of them. It's just like it's two hours and forty minutes and it doesn't quite earn that runtime. Like a lot of the other movies that we already mentioned, like Obvious Child or Spectacular Now are like an hour thirty, hour forty and make the most of that and they don't drag. And I've we talked about it on this podcast before. If you wanna if you can be three hours and keep it going throughout, that's great. But if you have a hiccup and it just gets a little blah 
I mean, understandable because you went for something that long, but and it's just I'm not going to rate your movie as highly personally. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but and like I, I still think you should see it. I don't. It might be out at theaters near you. Yeah, I'm going to see it whenever I can. I wanted. To, I but, like Shia a lot. So yeah, I think it'll find a way to get onto your um, uh, on demand or something soon enough. Um, because A24 does do a good job of getting this stuff out. So um, yeah, and I'd say I'd, I we never even did a podcast we might still do a podcast on Morris from america but um i'd put that up there too like i mean i i finally ranked all 69 or 70 movies i've seen this year uh yesterday like i i kept like a running list last year and i just got away from that this year but i felt like i should see where i ranked everything and like i had Morris from america in my top 15 like i really like that movie and i don't know how they didn't get it a theatrical release uh, yeah i don't know it was good but i don't know it was a little uh i don't know i don't know it was whatever I think I'm going to watch the Chris Stewart, Nicholas Holt one equals. I don't know if you know anything about that. That's also A24. I'm in on anything no. Chris and Stewart. So. It's by it's a Drake Dormius, the guy that did Like Crazy. Oh, um, I saw that. I like that movie. Yeah, I watched that for the first time a few weeks ago. So, Yeah, yeah, Anton. But, uh, so Jennifer Lawrence like, quietly in that movie? Yeah, I did not know that before I started watching it either. It was weird. Like, I mean, I was just totally unaware until she showed up. I was like, yeah. Why? Yeah. She's like, I can't remember the last time I watched a movie where she wasn't like the star. So it the was worst, very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, Equals like didn't get good reviews, but like it still looked pretty interesting. Like like a dystopian future where people live without feelings, but then two people get feelings for each other. Oh, I um, saw the trailer for that and I was like, uh, yeah. I won't watch it in theaters. Yeah, but it's on <laughs> Amazon Prime now. Um, so yeah, we, we were pretty, we were pretty close on the movies we had there and we think you should, uh, support them. Um, yeah, anything A24, if you get a chance, support it, but especially Moonlight right now. And especially yeah. in this, this, this whole, if you haven't been to the movies a lot or you've seen movies and you've been like movies suck, then you should go watch Moonlight. Did you, uh, get a chance to watch that little teaser for the Chance the Rapper movie? Not yet. No. I was okay. So. Dinner. So yeah, there's like the top, like the top like six lines of like this A24 list of films on the website. Like I wanted to see all of them. Like that's, they got like a, like Free Fire, which is the Brie Larson one. Like I'd probably be less excited for this if I'd seen High Rise because it's the same guy that made High Rise. But it's like Brie don't Larson. Watch, don't watch High Rise. Yeah, I'm not gonna. It's Brie Larson, Charlotte Copey, Jack Rayner, and Killian Murphy and Army Hammer like in a warehouse shootout movie. Um, trailer so, yeah. gives way too much away, though. I just—it was just a, as far as I can remember, it was people shooting each other. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for uh, 20th Century Woman, uh, which you're a little man. The trailer, I'm more excited about that. Has this random movie with uh, Chance the Rapper about a serial killer um, that, that kills a pizza to every man, and that's all I know. It's called Slice. <laughs> um, and then there's a movie called Monster with Zoe Kazan, which is like horror, but. Um, I think I'm. It sounds like it might be good. So, yeah, like support them. Support independent movies. Don't just go see shitty big blockbuster stuff if good stuff gets near you. And sorry for getting a little preachy with this at the end of the podcast, but I mean, I really enjoy the movies this company's been putting out. But like, you should also go see anything that's good, not just like freaking the girl on the train because you read the book and thought it was cool. Yeah, it's trash. Don't fucking watch that movie. It's a waste that's, of time. That, that the last five seconds is our podcast on the girl on the train. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, I think we had a good discussion about Moonlight. So again, uh, thank you guys for listening. You can find me on Twitter at a clambake, a k l a m b a k e. I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J o s h j u r n o v o y.
podcast twitter is 52 and 52 pod uh, same thing with the email at gmail.com um, thank you for listening and we'll catch you guys next time